All right, good evening. This feels strange to uh, be live at this time, but I am excited, so let's go. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. I am live. It's Thursday evening. That's weird to be live at this time, but um, I want to knock this out. I want to get through some more of this report and, um, you know, just nerd out with you guys. And uh, I'll do, I'll, I'm going to do this tonight and probably go about two hours, and then I'll be live again tomorrow morning to continue it, and we'll see if we can go. We can do some more over the weekend. Uh, we'll just keep going until we get through this thing. Um, before I get right into the the report and where we left off, hopefully I remember where we left off. I think I do. Um, I'm going to tell you that if you would like to support the show, the number one way to do that is to go to justhuman.substack.com and sign up for a paid subscription to my Substack, where I put the podcast and occasionally put an article. When we are done, I'm going to, full disclosure, I have like three articles I've started and not completed because <laughs> the news cycle is nuts and keeps on presenting me new information. I keep squirreling on it, uh, but I am continuing to write a Twitter thread on this thing and I'll, I'm, I'm going to take the highlights of it and put it into a, uh, an article, the, whatever, whatever is the, the, the main takeaways I'm going to put into an article over on my Substack. But the main thing I want you to know is that my Substack, everything on it is free. It's where you can get the podcast. And if you want to support what I do financially, a paid subscription to my Substack is the number one way. It's the best way. It's where the most of your dollar actually ends up going to me. So justhuman.substack.com. 
Now, if you would like something in return, I understand that. So how about some barbecue sauce or some honey from BensonHoneyFarms.com? If you go there and use rep code JUSTHUMAN, you can get yourself some delicious honey directly from the beekeepers. And that really is the main selling point of this stuff. It's the honey candy is addictive, by the way. Watch out. Um, this jar of honey right here is just 100% raw honey. It's not pasteurized. It's not heated. It's not filtered. It's just raw honey purchased directly from the beekeepers. And it's delicious. And I love it. And if you love honey, and it also doesn't go bad and it's really healthy. If you need some, go to BensonHoneyFarms.com. Use rep code JUSTHUMAN. And finally, if you would like some Just Human merch, like maybe the latest edition of this coffee mug, which is this one right here, understanding is greater than reacting, of course. Go to redwhiteandbourbon45.com. You can find my page that has my merch and get yourself some of that. That helps me out. And then you also get an item in return. These mugs are great. They're, abs they're absolutely great. Like I'm just talking about like, not the design or anything, but just what the actual mug is. It's great. And I've had this one for over a year now. I've washed it in the dishwasher every single time. It hasn't faded at all. It keeps coffee hot or tea, whatever you put in it. It's a great mug. So those are the three ways you can support the show. Now that that's out of the way. And good evening to everybody who is here. I saw Mermaid Miss K is here. That's great. She's building a bookcase. Good luck to you. I hope that goes well. And good, good evening to everybody else. Uh, Carol and Florida and Dina and Curious and Linda and Foxy and JB Patriot and Chums. Thank you for being here. We'll see how many people we get for this live. You know, at an unusual time. Probably won't be nearly as many people as we usually have, but that's okay. Um... Now, I've continued to do my thread, which is massive. I don't know how many Twitter posts it has in it. There's a lot. There's a lot in it. And I've since I was last live, I've added more to it, but not that many more. It's just been too much stuff going on for me to get get back to it and really commit to posting more. But there's there's well over 100 uh, Twitter posts in it, I believe. So if you're looking to keep track of this and you're or if you just want to read the report, the link is pinned to the top of my Twitter profile, Real Just Human, um, on Twitter at Real Just Human. You can read the report for yourself or just scan it, look through it. You can also read my thread if you just want to look for some of the highlights that I'm pulling out of the thread. And I'm going to continue, or out of the report, I'm going to continue to thread the report um, and then turn that into an article. Now, to the report. If I remember correctly, where we left off was right before we got to this section, which was had to do with all of the regulations about prosecutions and guidelines and all of these things that, you know, it's like policy and guides and type stuff for DOJ. Um, if I remember, that's where we left off. I want to make sure it talks about the different acts that apply and. Uh, what defensive briefings are and what CHSs are and all this kind of stuff like that, that we don't really need to go through. Yeah, it was this section. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's good stuff in there, but we're going to skip to the part that is we're most interested in. And it gets into executive branch requirements, standard approved, false statements. It really is important stuff. 
but it's just not that important to us for us to know right now. Although later in the report, Durham does reference back to some of these things. And so we may end up going back to look at what they said because Durham references them later. Jatriot. I almost, I almost started the show with this silly mug full of coffee. <laughs> I have it here. I have it. I had it. I have it over here on my desk. It makes me laugh. <laughs> background facts okay wait i think i think i found where we left off i think i found where we left off hold up disclosure of national defense information we know about that background facts and prosecution decisions okay this is getting into the meat of the matter of what the report was focusing on but it looks like the section before it is more policy stuff Yeah, showing different types of. I just want to make sure we start at the same point, or I want to make sure we start um, at a point that is most interesting to us. It looks like it's this section right here. The next time that he mentions things that specifically have to do with what he was tasked to investigate. is going to be here, section four, right there. Background facts and prosecution decisions. There we go. Buster Lou, good evening. Um, sky falling soon, I see your question. Can you answer whether Durham's grand juries might possibly have sealed, have issued sealed indictments? Yes, they may have. They may have. And I said the other day that what, one of the things that stands out to me about the report is that Durham doesn't tell you how many grand juries he ran. And we know that he ran more grand juries than he made public indictments. So he may have just ran those grand juries as a means of getting subpoenas and getting testimony and then never got an indictment out of them. That wasn't what he was trying to do. Or it could be he got indictments and they're all sealed. And that's why he didn't include any. It's See, this is the thing I thought of. I thought of it during the power hour last night, but I didn't verbalize it because we had already moved on. Um, Durham may have sealed indictments from these grand juries. And he didn't mention them in this report and the referrals from them because he can't because they're sealed. <laughs> so our hopes and dreams of Durham churning out some indictments for certain people like Joffe, for instance, and others, um, he may actually have done that and we just don't know it and it's all sealed. Now I don't have any proof of that. I'm just saying it's, it's a possibility and it would be a pipe dream possibility. It could be like a possibility that you're like, yeah, that's really far fetched or fantasy. But we know he made all these, he ran all these grand juries and he had all these different people in front of them. So it's really not far-fetched at all. Especially if you've been tracking the details of all of his work. It's just, yeah, it is a possibility. All right. Let's take a sip of coffee one more time and then get started.
All right, section four, background facts and prosecution decisions. This section begins by providing factual information about the FBI's New York field office, the NYFO, investigation of Carter Page in the spring of 2016. The text messages between certain FBI officials that are on their face show a predisposition to investigate Trump and the predication, opening, and conduct of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. This part concludes with a comparison of some of the FBI's investigative decisions related to Clinton with some of those related to Trump. The remaining parts of this section, each that's the section that I'm in, by the way, on my thread right now. That's where I'm at in my thread on Twitter and on True Social, is I'm at the section where he's comparing the Trump handling of Clinton's um, allegations with Trump. The remaining parts of this section each include a factual background and then describe the prosecution decisions the office made. The first addresses an investigative referral of a possible Clinton campaign plan. The next is an extensive discussion of the FISA applications targeting Page. The last part of this section covers conduct by private sector actors in connection with Crossfire Hurricane and related subjects. In describing these matters, this section does not endeavor or repeat not endeavor to repeat or restate all the information that the office um, and others have covered and made public. Instead, it aims to add to that body of information, include additional relevant facts, and explain the prosecution decisions we made. So he's telling you right there, I'm not telling you everything that we know. I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you in order to add to some of that information and give you relevant facts so that you can understand decisions we made. The appointment order authorized the special counsel, quote, to prosecute federal crimes arising from his investigation of the matters assigned to him. What is stated in the Mueller report is equally true for our investigation. In deciding whether to exercise this prosecutorial authority, the office, meaning the special counsel's office, has been guided by the principles of federal prosecution set forth in the justice manual. In particular, the office has evaluated whether the conduct of the individuals considered for prosecution constituted a federal offense and whether admissible evidence would probably be sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction for such an offense. Where the answer to those questions was yes, the office further considered whether the prosecution would serve a substantial federal interest. The the individuals were subject to effective prosecution in other jurisdictions and there existed an adequate non-criminal alternative to prosecution. These considerations, as explained below, led the office to charge three individuals with making false statements. The office considered whether other individuals, including individuals in the government, made false statements to the FBI, the OIG, or congressional committees, or whether, during the course of the office's investigation, other individuals interviewed either omitted material, material information, or provided false information. Again, what is stated in the Mueller report is true for our investigation. Applying the principles of federal prosecution, the office did not seek criminal charges against any individuals other than those listed above. In some instances, that decision was due to evidentiary hurdles to proving falsity. In others, the office determined that the witnesses ultimately provided truthful information and that considerations of culpability, deterrence, and resource preservation weighed against prosecution. The office determined that other matters it investigated either did not involve the commission of a federal crime or that our evidence was not sufficient 
to obtain and sustain a criminal conviction. In addition to its prosecution and declination decisions, the office made the following referrals. Now, all right, I'm going to pause. Oh, good evening, Karma. Okay, I'll go, I'll go and read it after I get done here, for sure. Um, before I get to the next section, what I just read you about deciding to prosecute or not prosecute, it kind of sucks to read that because you're like, man... I wanted to prosecute everybody. <laughs> well, you really don't, but you, it's like, I wanted to prosecute everybody that they interviewed who I don't like. I mean, that's natural human feeling. And when we have all the suspicions that we do and the beliefs that we do in, about and theories about so many people that Durham interviewed, I mean, we're wanting, we're, our desire is to see him prosecute. So it kind of sucks to read that section and some of the decisions, but these types of decisions have to be made and these types of things have to be weighed. We also don't know who Durham passed what onto, and we don't know who's coming after and what other information exists by, in other investigations. But the next part is pretty juicy. This is one of my favorite sections of the entire report that I've read so far. In addition to its prosecution and declination decisions, the office made the following referrals to other entities. A referral. Now, he doesn't say if it's an investigative referral or a criminal referral. He just says referral. A referral on June 30th, 2020 to the FBI's Washington field office regarding a matter related to an existing counterintelligence investigation. I am strongly suspecting this may have to do with Charles McGonigal. May. Because he was indicted after he was indicted in D.C. and he was also indicted in the SDNY. And I'm just wondering if they, the existing counterintelligence investigation was one that was already going against McGonagall and Durham uncovered more evidence and referred it. I don't know that that's the case, though. It might have to do with someone else, like such as, uh, such as um, Danchenko's handler. A referral in December 2020 to OI of information relevant to the accuracy of information contained in four non-page FISA applications. So that's applications for, I'm guessing, Manafort, Flynn, or um, Papadopoulos. Referrals of two matters on December 14th, 2022, to the Inspector General of the Department of Defense, with a copy of the General Counsel of the Defense Intelligence Agency. One matter involved the execution of a contract between DARPA and the Georgia Institute of Technology. And a separate matter involved the irregular conduct in 2016 of two former employees of the Department of Defense. I, am, I will bet you 10 bags of coffee, fresh, gourmet, locally roasted, perfectly brewed coffee that this is Joffe and the Georgia Tech researchers. I mean, it obviously is. Now, it doesn't say if the referral is criminal or investigative. I, I really hope it's criminal. And I really hope that Robert Storch is going to investigate Joffe and then refer him for prosecution to DOJ. This is 
like this is like my favorite paragraph right here in this whole this, these two sentences it's like this these two sentences right here man it's like f yeah joffy's time is coming right there and it makes me laugh because joffy joffy in a lawsuit with new star last fall told the court in delaware that he, durham had told him that he would not be prosecuted by Durham, that the special counsel's office would not be prosecuting Joffe. And guess what? It was true because Durham turned it over to, uh, the, to Robert Storch. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy about this paragraph. All right. A referral to the FBI's OGC, that's Office of General Counsel, an inspection division of an FBI agent for failing to document properly the known history of Igor Danchenko upon his opening as an FBI CHS. So this has to do with the first handler that Danchenko had. His name escapes me right now. I think it starts with an H, but I'd have to go back and look at the Danchenko case and see. But um, yeah, that guy, this is one where it's probably not criminal, you know? It's probably not criminal. It may be criminal, but does the guy need to go to federal prison for it? Probably not. He probably needs to be fired. This or something like that, you know? Anyway, we'll let Horowitz handle it. Next, or last, a referral to the FBI's OGC and inspection division of the same F FBI agent for questionable instructions given to Danchenko regarding the taxability of cash payments made to him by the FBI. I seem to remember in testimony from the Danchenko trial some questions about this. Yeah, if I remember right, the agent was trying to help Danchenko figure out a way to hide the money he was making so that he wouldn't be exposed as being a CHS, something like that. I could be misremembering, though. Chris, thank you very much for the rumble rant. He asked, who has a running list of globalist slash deep state losses and patriot wins to throw in the face of black pillars and the nothing is happening crowd? I can't find a good one. I don't know that I've ever seen a list, although occasionally I do like write one up um, on a given day of like comparing that week, like look like listing all the good things that happened that week. I don't know of any running list or running tally of it. Um, but it's hard to get, it's hard to deal with black pillars and the nothing is happening crowd because they tend to follow news sources that reinforce those ideas. And, um, unless they go and look for themselves, they're going to keep listening to the people who tell them what they want to hear, even though what they want to hear is bad news, which is weird, but it's true. People get trapped in a cycle of bad news and then they keep on looking for more and more bad news, um, to keep those emotions going. Next part, the Crossfire Hurricane Investigation, Part 1, New York Field Office Investigation of Page. I really believe that McGonagall had something to do with this part. In late March 2016, Carter Page, an American energy consultant, was named a foreign policy advisor to the Donald Trump 2016 presidential campaign. Page's prior business experience was largely focused on Russian and Eurasian energy issues, and as such, he frequently interacted with various Russian nationals. That's why he was made an asset for DOJ and, F and CIA, by the way. 
Based on his previous Russian contacts, Page was known to the FBI and had been interviewed on three occasions between 2009 and 2013 by the New York field office. In 2015, Page was again interviewed by the FBI in connection with the indictment of three Russian intelligence officers in the Southern District of New York. According to the criminal complaint and subsequent returned indictment in the case, Page had been approached by the intelligence officers in an apparent failed recruitment effort. In the criminal complaint, one intelligence officer referred to Page, anonymized as Mail One, as, quote, an idiot, and Page does not seem to have been receptive to the recruitment efforts. That is a pretty funny line. Page has interviewed by was interviewed by prosecutors as a possible government witness in that case. One defendant, Evgeny Buryakov, pleaded guilty after before guilty before trial and was sentenced to 30 months of imprisonment. The two other defendants in the case were protected by diplomatic immunity and are no longer in the United States. The Buryakov case. That is a whole nother thing to get into. It's super interesting, though, but it's only thing to get into. The main thing to understand here is that Page had already been working with the same New York field office that would later try and investigate him. Helson, sky is falling soon. Thank you. Kevin Helson. That's right. I thought it started with an H. That's it. Yeah, so Page had already, already had a working history going back years with the FBI and the CIA as being an asset, as being someone who provided information to them, and he was almost a witness in this case. In April 2016, shortly after Page was named as an advisor to the Trump campaign, the New York field office, that same one he'd worked with for years, opened a counterintelligence investigation of him. According to the case agent in the matter, New York field office case agent one, in opening the investigation, the FBI was not so concerned about Page, but rather was concerned about the Russians that were reaching out to Page. Well, guess what, guys? Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it make sense that given their work history with Page and knowing this previous case where three Russian intelligence officers had tried to turn Page into an asset for them and Page almost came, became a witness in the case against them, that in opening this investigation, they would think of it as, oh, this is like something we've done before. We're going to be looking at the Russians, but Page is the guy we opened the investigation on. See how it works? Moreover, New York field office case agent one told the office that there were no plans to seek FISA coverage on Page. New York field office case agent one and her FBI supervisor informed the OIG that Page's role as a foreign policy advisor, quote, did not influence their decision to open a case on Page. It may, however, have affected the timing of the case opening and increased interest in him. Indeed, Director Comey had earlier in April quote, requested relevant information pertaining to any presidential candidate. In line with that directive, Comey was briefed on the Page investigation, which a week later was described as a top priority for the director. At that time, the FBI personnel in Washington prepared a counterintelligence report on Page for the director. In July, the same personnel described the Page case and ones like it as a top priority for Director Comey. What ones like it? What ones like it? In any event, despite Page's role as a publicly named foreign policy advisor, the FBI did not open an investigation as a sensitive investigation matter, or SIM. We're going to be seeing that term quite a bit 
SIM. It means sensitive investigation matter. A few months later, shortly after the FBI opened the Crossfire Hurricane investigation at FBI headquarters and the four subfiles, including a page, including on page, the New York field office's investigation of Page was transferred to the Crossfire Hurricane investigation at FBI headquarters. I'm going to look at these footnotes real quick. Okay. Next, evidence of predisposition to investigate Trump. The record reviewed by the office demonstrated a rather clear predisposition on the part of at least certain FBI personnel at the center of Crossfire Hurricane to open an investigation of Trump. For example, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page were directly involved in matters relating to the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. Strzok was the agent who both wrote and approved the electro electronic communication opening the matter from the very start as a full investigation rather than an assessment or preliminary investigation. At the time, Page was serving as Deputy Director Andrew McCabe's special assistant, and, according to Strzok, it was McCabe who directed that the Crossfire Hurricane investigation be opened immediately after information described more fully below was received from the Australian authorities in late July 2016. Now, let's say Page and Strzok here, they're predisposed to disliking Trump and wanting, you know, they're against Trump. But keep in mind, it is McCabe. According to Strzok, it was McCabe who directed him to open the investigation as a full one immediately. Over a period of months prior to the, and, and Strzok and Page would be good ones to give it to, right? Given their dislike of Trump. Strzok and Page had exchanged numerous text messages, which are already in the public domain and express a very clear prejudice against Trump. For example, August 16th, 2015, Strzok, Bernie Sanders is an idiot like Trump. December 20th, 2015. And this, you know, you can see this is six months or more. Actually, the first one's a year before all of this. December 20th is um, six months before. After exchanging an article about Trump with Lisa Page. Page, what an utter idiot. Struck, no doubt. March 3rd, 2016. Page, God, Trump is a loathsome human. Struck, yet he may win the Republican nomination. Good for Hillary. Page, it is. Would he be a worse president than Cruz? Trump? Yes, I think so. I'm not sure. Oh my God, Trump's an idiot. He's awful. America will get what the voting public deserves. Page, that's what I'm afraid of. At this time, Strzok was a section chief and then was later the deputy assistant director in the FBI's counterintelligence division. Struck agreed to provide, this is from the footnote, Struck agreed to provide information to the office, which would be the special counsel's office, concerning matters related to the FBI's Alpha Bank investigation, but otherwise declined to be interviewed by the office on matters related to his role in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. I believe this is our first footnote where we've come across someone declining, saying, nah, I don't want to talk to you, Durham. 
There's more, but hold on. Uh, Rumble rant from Texan by birth. Thank you very much. I am also a Texan by birth and always will refer to myself as Texan first. Um, H2O Maven. Obama SES employees. I'm not sure if Obama SES employees are involved here. I don't think those other investigations it referred to. I can't, from the language of this, I couldn't tell and ones like it. I'm guessing this is referring to the other ones that were opened on Flynn, Papadopoulos, and Manafort, but I'm not positive. I'm not positive about that. All right, more messages from, from Strzok. God, Hillary would win 100 million to zero if Trump run, runs. May 3rd, 2016, page. And holy expletive, Cruz just dropped out of the race. It's going to be a Clinton-Trump race. Unbelievable. Struck, what? Paige, you heard that right, my friend. Struck, I saw Trump won, figured it would be a bit. Not the pressure really, now the pressure really starts to finish the Clinton email investigation. Paige, it sure does. July 18th, 2016, during the Republican National Convention. Struck. Ooh, turn it on, turn it on. The douchebags are about to come out. You can tell by the excitable clapping. Page. And wow, Donald Trump is an enormous douche. July 19th, 2016. Struck. Hi, how was Trump other than a douche? Page. Trump barely spoke, but the first thing out of his mouth was, we're going to win so big. The whole thing is like living in a bad dream. I think this is July. July 21st, 2016. Struck. Trump is a disaster. I have no idea how destabilizing his president would be. Six days later, July 27th, 2016. Page. Have we opened on him yet? Trump and Putin. Yes, it's really a thing. And then links a talking points memo. Struck. Opened on Trump? If Hillary did, you know five field offices would... Where's the rest of it? Would. Where's the rest of it? I guess that's it. Dot, dot, dot. But I'm sure y'all get it, but just in case anybody doesn't. By opened, what they mean is have you opened an investigation on him yet? So this is July 27th, 2016, and Paige and Strzok are talking about investigating Trump. As discussed more fully below, the next day, July 28th, 2016, FBI headquarters received the Australian information that formed the basis for the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. On Sunday, July 31st, 2016, struck as he was written, as he has written, he was directed to do by McCabe, immediately opened Crossfire Hurricane. He both drafted and approved with the authorization of Assistant Director Prestap the Crossfire Hurricane opening communications. August 8th, 2016, page. Trump's not going to become president, right? Struck, no. No, he's not. We'll stop it. Similarly, and as discussed in more detail below, FBI OGC attorney Kevin Kleinsmith made troubling statements demonstrating a blatant political bias against Trump. Kleinsmith, who played a central role in the Page-FISA process, 
on the day after Trump's election as president, stated to fellow FBI personnel, among other things, Viva la Resistance, an obvious reference to those individuals opposed to Trump. Although those individuals in the opening of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation denied that bias against Trump was a factor in opening the investigation, the communications quoted above quite clearly show, at least on the part of certain personnel ultimately involved in the matter, a predisposition to open an investigation into Trump. I should say so, given that the day or so before the investigation is open opened on Trump, Page and Strzok are talking about opening an investigation on Trump. <laughs> With Page saying, have you done it yet? CNN, or Talking Points Memo blog, says, you should. Okay, let's check these footnotes right here. From this one, regarding Strzok, having direct access to McCabe when asked if he was aware of people going around him to the seventh floor. This is from the OIG review, meaning jumping the chain of command and going to the FBI executive offices on the seventh floor. Priestap replied, quote, Oh yeah. While Priestap stated he could not remember the specifics, Lisa page was a concern without question in this respect. In addition, there were multiple times when Strzok mentioned something to Priestap and shared it with Page, who in turn shared the information with Deputy Director McCabe. There were also instances when Strzok shared information directly with McCabe before Priestap could provide the information to McCabe himself. Priestap said these actions drove him insane. He also told the office that Strzok was the worst offender in this regard and that these events occurred mostly when he, Priestap, wanted to go in one direction and they, Page and Strzok, disagreed and thus went around him. Priestap agreed to provide information to the office concerning matters related to the Alpha Bank investigation, but otherwise declined to be interviewed by the office on matters related to his role in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. The opening of Crossfire Hurricane. The FBI opened Crossfire Hurricane as a full counterintelligence investigation, quote, to determine whether individuals associated with the Trump campaign were witting and or coordinating activities with the government of Russia. The starting point for the office's inquiry was to examine what information was known or available to the FBI about any such ties as of July 31st, 2016, prior to the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. That question then divided itself into two related questions. One, what was the information that predicated the opening of the investigation? And two, did that information support such an investigation being opened, not as an assessment or preliminary investigation, but from the start as a full investigation? In exploring these questions, we determined the following. A, the information used to predicate Crossfire Hurricane in March 2016. The Trump campaign identified George Papadopoulos as a foreign policy advisor. Papadopoulos had previously worked as an energy consultant with a particular focus on projects in the eastern Mediterranean. At the time of his appointment, Papadopoulos was employed in the United Kingdom at the London Center of International Law Practice. Among Papadopoulos' acquaintances in London was a diplomat from another country, Foreign Government One, Diplomat One. 
foreign government one, diplomat one, was familiar with an Australian diplomat, Australian diplomat one. On May 6, 2016, by prearrangement, foreign government one, diplomat one, introduced Papadopoulos to Australian diplomat one. On May 10th, 2016, Papadopoulos and Australian diplomat one met again, and this time they were joined by Australian High Commissioner Alexander Downer. Both meetings were over drinks in public settings. The Australian diplomats were interested in meeting with Papadopoulos because of his role in the Trump campaign, and much of the conversation centered on the upcoming U.S. election. Over two months later, on July 26, 2016, Australia provided the U.S. Embassy in London certain information its diplomats had memorialized at or around the time of the meetings with Papadopoulos. The next day, the State Department passed this information on to the FBI's legal attache assigned to the embassy in London. Paragraph 5 was the name given to the raw information provided by the Australian government and included in a May 16, 2016 cable that documented the, the diplomats' encounters with Papadopoulos. Paragraph 5 is an abstract from the cable and was quoted verbatim in the Crossfire Hurricane opening EC, stating in its entirety that, quote, Mr. Papadopoulos was unsurprisingly confident that Mr. Trump could win the election. He commented that the Clintons had, quote, a lot of baggage and suggested the Trump team had plenty of material to use in its campaign. He also suggested the Trump team had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist this process with the anonymous anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Mrs. Clinton and President Obama. It was unclear whether he or the Russians were referring to material acquired publicly or through other means. It was also unclear how Mr. Trump's team reacted to the offer. We note the Trump team's reaction could, in the end, have little bearing, of, if any, on what Russia decides to do with or without Trump's cooperation. The Australian account reflects that two meetings of a casual nature took place with Papadopoulos. These meetings were documented by Downer on May 11, 2016 and by Australian Diplomat One later in the month. Both diplomats advised that prior to the spring of 2016, Papadopoulos was unknown to them. Notably, the information in paragraph 5 does not, re- inc- does not include any mention of the hacking of the DNC, the Russians being in the possession of the emails, or the public release of any emails. In addition, when interviewed by the office, Downer stated that he would have characterized the statements made by Papadopoulos differently than Australian Diplomat 1 did in paragraph 5. According to Downer, Papadopoulos made no mention of Clinton emails, dirt, or any specific approach by the Russian government to the Trump campaign team with an offer or suggestion of providing assistance. Rather, Downer's recollection was that Papadopoulos simply stated, quote, the Russians have information. And that was all. As recounted to the FBI on August 2nd, 2016, by Australian Diplomat 1, the substance of Paragraph 5 was written in a purposefully vague way. This was done because Papadopoulos left a number of things unexplained and did not say he had direct contact with the Russians. 
the impression Papadopoulos made on the Australian diplomats was wide-ranging. On the one hand, he, quote, had an inflated sense of self, was insecure, and was trying to impress. On the other hand, he was a nice guy, not negative, did not name drop. Downer noted that he, quote, was impressed Papadopoulos acknowledged his lack of expertise and felt the response was uncommon for someone of Papadopoulos's age, political experience, and for someone thrust into the spotlight overnight. Many people in a similar position would represent themselves differently, and Downer would have sniffed them out. If Downer believed Papadopoulos was a fraud, he would not have recorded and reported on the meeting that he had with Papadopoulos. Downer also said that he did not get the sense Papadopoulos was the middleman to coordinate with the Russians. The Australian diplomats would later inform the FBI and subsequently the office that the impetus for passing the Paragraph 5 information in late July was the public release by WikiLeaks on July 22, 2016 of email communications that had been hacked from the DNC servers. As far as the office's investigation was able to determine, Papadopoulos's comments did not undergo any additional analysis or scrutiny by Australian intelligence officials. Amy, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. I'm happy you're here too. Thank you very much. It's very generous of you. Okay, so with this Papadopoulos thing, let me check these footnotes real quick. Okay, let me read this footnote here. We note, meaning Durham's team of notes, there is an inconsistency in the statements given by Australian diplomat one and former High Commissioner Downer to the Crossfire Hurricane interviews in August 2016 and what they told the office when interviewed in October 2019. Australian diplomat one and Downer were interviewed together in August 2016, and according to the FD-302 prepared afterward by Supervisory Special Agent 1, Papadopoulos made the statements about the Russians during the May 6, 2016 introductory meeting when he met only with Australian Diplomat 1. When the two diplomats were interviewed separately by the office in October 2019, investigators were advised that Papadopoulos made the statements in front of both Australian Diplomat 1 and Downer during the second meeting on May 10th, 2016. Next footnote. The meetings with Papadopoulos were May 6th and then May 10th. Downer is also reported to have stated in an interview that in talking with Papadopoulos, there was, quote, no suggestion that there was collusion between Donald Trump or Donald Trump's campaign and the Russians. Okay, so take yourself back to May of 2016. Cruz is about to drop out, right? Trump is headed for the, if I remember correctly, Trump is headed for the nomination, assembling his campaign team for president, adding more people to it. 
Cruz is the only guy left, or that's basically the situation, or it's close to that situation. Papadopoulos is named to the Trump campaign. Super young guy with some experience in the Mediterranean. Um, is in Australia talking with two diplomats, with, well, one diplomat and then the high commissioner Downer. Over drinks, casual setting, talking about politics and other things. He makes a comment that the Russians have some dirt on Hillary and that Hillary also has a lot of baggage and he thinks Trump can win. Both diplomats, because of the nature of who they are, and they're talking to somebody from a political campaign from another country, memorialize this in some notes, and it winds up being this paragraph five thing right here, which is very vague. And it just mentioned that it was that um, he he suggested the Trump tamp. Trump team had received some kind of suggestion. That's two suggestions. A suggestion of a suggestion from Russia that it could assist with the process of anonymous release of information on Clinton. They took their notes and they held those notes until July when Russia, well, when WikiLeaks publishes some emails that have been hacked from the DNC. And when that happens, the Australians are like, oh, remember that convo we had with Papadopoulos back in May? And so they send that, they send that, they send that communication to the FBI to let them know. And the FBI immediately opens a full investigation. Part B, the lack of intelligence information supporting the premise Crossfire Hurricane. As an initial matter, there is no question that the FBI had an obligation to closely, closely examine the Paragraph 5 information. The Paragraph 5 information, however, was the sole basis cited by the FBI for opening a full investigation into individuals associated with the ongoing Trump presidential campaign. Significantly, the FBI opened a full investigation before any Preliminary discussions or interviews were undertaken with either the diplomats or Papadopoulos, which to the lay person is insane. Obviously, in any situation where there's an allegation against someone else, we all know that you handle it by going and talking to the people involved to see if the information you got matches what they're telling you, right? Every, I mean, that's like that's first steps. That first, that's first steps to go interview witnesses and people involved. Further, the opening EC does not describe any collaboration or joint assessments of the information with either friendly foreign intelligence services or other U.S. intelligence agencies. In effect, here's here's the real kick. In effect, within three days of its receipt of the paragraph five suggestion of a suggestion reporting, the FBI determined without further analysis that the Australian information was an adequate basis for the opening of a full investigation into whether individuals associated with the ongoing presidential campaign were quote, witting of and or coordinating 
activities with the government of Russia. In his interview with the office, Executive Assistant Director of the National Security of National Security, Michael Steinbach commented on the sufficiency of the information in the opening EC, stating that it was quote poorly written. Steinbach added that the EC should not be read to suggest that the FBI was investigating the Trump campaign, but only those potential subjects within the campaign whose activities justified inquiry. Steinbach also questioned separately by the OIG on the amount of information that should normally be included in an EC of opening an intelligence counterintelligence uh, counterintelligence case. He said that it should, it should be a logical summary sufficient to the, to justify the opening. Steinbach told the OIG by way of an example. It's like, Hey, look, I have Max Steinbach over on this date. He met with a Russian who we know is associated with this intelligence organization and lay that out, open a preliminary investigation. Although not referenced in the opening EC, FBI officials have later pointed to the importance of the Australian information when viewed in conjunction with Russia's likely connection to the WikiLeaks disclosures and its efforts to interfere with the 2016 U.S. elections. In addition, Trump had also stated in a recently televised campaign speech Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Footnote. There were also at least some activities involving the Trump campaign and Russians that did not become public and were not known to the FBI until much later. For example, on June 9th, 2016, Senior representatives of the campaign met briefly with a private Russian lawyer, Natalia Veselnitskaya, and the others at the tr- and others at the Trump Tower. Veselnitskaya, quote, had previously worked for the Russian government and maintained a relationship with that government throughout this period of time. The initial email to Donald Trump Jr. proposing the meeting said that the Crown Prosecutor of Russia was offering to provide the campaign with documents and information that would incriminate Clinton. The meeting at the Trump Tower only became public a year later. Trump's statement was widely reported, and it appears to have referred to emails stored on the personal server that Clinton used while Secretary of State. The evidence the office reviewed shows that there was in, there there were internal discussions with FBI headquarters executives including deputy director about the decision that be McCabe about the decision to open crossfire hurricane the executives were unanimous in supporting the opening of the investigation and there is no indication that these discussions contemplated anything short of an immediate full investigation such as an such as an assessment or preliminary investigation into the meaning, credibility, and underpinnings of the statements attributed to Papadopoulos. The personnel involved in the decision to open a full investigation have stated that they acted within the FBI's governing principles set forth in the AGG-DOM and the DIOG that required an authorized person and a, quote, articulable 
factual basis for the investigation that reasonably indicates that an activity constituting a federal crime or a national security threat may be occurring. But notably, the DIOG also explicitly explicitly cautions FBI employees to avoid reputational risk to those being investigated by, among other things, specifying different standards for opening an assessment, a preliminary investigation, and a full investigation with a corresponding continuum of permissible investigative activities. That measured approach does not appear to have been followed with respect to Crossfire Hurricane. Instead, as described above, on a Sunday, and just three days after receiving the unanalyzed information from Australia, struck authored and approved the Crossfire Hurricane opening EC. Thus, a full counterintelligence investigation was into a SIM was, was triggered and the height of a political campaign before any dialogue with Australia or the intelligence community. And prior to any critical analysis of the information itself or the potential for the risk of error or disinformation issues that appropriately are addressed during assessments or preliminary investigations. That's the real kicker right here. Like you want to talk about what the FBI did wrong at the very beginning of Crossfire Hurricane in that that week, those three days or so. They got a suggestion of a suggestion from Australia. They didn't vet it. They didn't verify it. They didn't interview the people that sent it to them. They didn't call the people who sent it to them. They didn't email them. They didn't, we didn't have Zoom then, but we had FaceTime. They didn't do anything to talk. They didn't talk to the diplomats. They didn't talk to Downer. They didn't talk to their own investigations or investigative bodies. They didn't reference the FBI database. They didn't talk to CIA or DIA or NSA. They didn't, nothing. Nothing. They got those same couple sentences that I read to you right here. They got this much. And without any attempt at verification of any piece of it, they launched an invest a full investigation, not preliminary full. The evidence the office reviewed shows that there were internal discussions with FBI headquarters. Oh, I already read that. Sorry. Uh, by the way, the, um, this AGG-DOM and the DIOG, that's some of the stuff that was in that policy and guidelines section. That's why Durham included it. It's so that he could write paragraphs like this and reference it back. Like, look, hey, guys, your own policies are that you do it this way, and you didn't. Now, this footnote. Um, where's this footnote go to? Sorry. This footnote has to do with Trump and the missing emails. Um. The Mueller report states that this statement about Trump saying Russia, I hope Russia can find Hillary's emails, apparently is a reference to email stored on a personal server that Clinton used while she was Secretary of State. As well 
um, wait, wait, Trump at 109, as well as the OIG, the Australian High Commissioner Downer was prompted to turn over paragraph five information upon seeing Trump's televised news conference. Okay, so Downer sees Trump's news conference where, where Trump says that, and Downer, Downer sends that communication to the FBI that contained paragraph five. Struck, interviewed by the OIG on May 8th, 2018. Struck's version of this is factually inaccurate and contrary to the FBI's report of August 2nd, 2016 interview of Downer and Australian Diplomat One, an interview that Struck himself conducted. The report of, of the interview does not refer to Trump's news conference or the missing Clinton emails. Moreover, Downer and Australian officials came to the U.S. Embassy with the Paragraph 5 information on July 26th, one day before Trump's televised news conference. As referenced above in footnote 189, Strzok declined to be interviewed by this office on this subject and other subjects. So it goes around that in Strzok's book, Compromised, okay, Strzok's book, Compromised, page 109, he says... Is that what that's saying right there in the interview? Struck? Yeah. Compliance at 109. OIG interview with this. Struck's version is factually inaccurate. Wow, that's really interesting. So Struck, Struck has lied that it was Trump's news conference that said Russia, if you're listening, was the impetus for the paragraph in paragraph five information traveling from Australia to him. But the people who sent that information are like, no, we gave it to the embassy one day before Trump ever said that. Next footnote, the speed of this action of opening the EC sharply contrast um, with Strzok's decision-making in the referral in September 2016 of a matter involving former Congressman Anthony Weiner's laptop computer. In that instant, according to the OIG, the FBI and Strzok did not act for over a month to pursue legal process to review thousands of missing Clinton emails found on Wiener's laptop. The OIG sharply criticized the FBI, and particularly Strzok, for this delay. As discussed more fully below, the immediate opening of the Crossfire Hurricane as a full investigation contrasts with the care taken in connection with the investigation of the Clinton Foundation and other matters. The information from Papadopoulos was, in the words of an FBI executive, a tipping point. When interviewed by the OIG, FBI Deputy General Counsel Tricia Anderson stated that it would have been a dereliction of duty had the FBI not opened Crossfire Hurricane. For his part, FBI General Counsel James Baker told the OIG that, quote, opening the opening of an investigation and doing it quickly is a good thing for oversight because it forces the institution of the FBI and eventually the Department of Justice to have appropriate management controls over what's going on. In this regard, the OIG review found that in early August 2016, after opening of Crossfire Hurricane, the National Security Division officials, quote, were briefed on at least two occasions about the investigation. John has a, uh, or Durham has a footnote for this one. I'm going to grab it real quick. 
Baker's point is a reasonable one regarding the oversight value of opening an investigation, but we note that it would and should apply equally to the opening of a preliminary investigation or an assessment. So I just want to drive that home with everybody that when they open an investigation, I think the point, I think, I think the point that Baker and Durham are both making here is that when you open an investigation, whether it's preliminary or full, certain things start happening. Documents get created, files get created, people start getting briefed on things, and it creates a paper trail to which oversight can come back and look at, right? And that's a good thing. So on the one hand, it's a good thing that they open some kind of investigation into this in the sense that it allows for oversight after the fact where you can trace the steps that people took and you can interview witnesses and there's a trail, a trail of happenings for you to follow. If you don't open any investigation yet have that information, then there can be no oversight because there's nothing to track or anything. Right. And I kind of, I've spent some time kind of wondering what if, they had not opened the investigation, but instead had kept this quiet and had just worked on it under the table and then suddenly brought it out. There would be no paper trail. There would be no ability to oversight anything that happened before the moment that they actually opened it up. So Baker really does have a good point here. If we imagine that they set on the paragraph five information, and never did anything with it. Well, maybe not never, but they sat on it for a while. Um, you wouldn't have, there would be nothing would be happening with it and you wouldn't have any trail to go back to and provide oversight on. So it's a lawyerly comment from a lawyer, but it, it does, it does make sense. FBI officials have acknowledged that they were aware that the information concerning Papadopoulos did not come from Australia's intelligence service, but rather from diplomats who were previously unknown to the FBI personnel handling that paragraph five information. In various interviews, several FBI officials have opined that the FBI was justified in opening Crossfire Hurricane as a full investigation because, in part, the information was given to the FBI from a trusted partner and therefore was deemed reliable. Although this, this sentiment is understandable, the FBI's well-placed trust in a foreign partner should not equate to confidence in the shared information itself. Australia could not and did not make any representation about the credibility of the information. Although the counterintelligence division had eventually, did eventually seek information about Papadopoulos, the office found no indications from witness testimony, electronic communications, emails, calendar entries, or other documentation that, at the time, the FBI gave any consideration to the actual trustworthiness of the information from the diplomats and the information they received from Papadopoulos, an individual whom they described as, among other things, quote, insecure, trying to impress. That's another layer of it. They tell, they tell the FBI, look, we got this guy from the Trump campaign who's young, immature, trying to impress us, and... uh he, he told us this information here. Boom, full of counterintelligence investigation. 
The information from Papadopoulos was clearly raw and unevaluated. It was not the product of normal intelligence community collection and analysis, and it lacked the standard caveats accompanying uncorroborated information from an individual whose information was being seen for the first time. The information involving an ongoing presidential campaign was precisely the kind of unevaluated information that required rigorous analysis in order to assess its relevance and value. Nevertheless, the FBI predicated Crossfire Hurricane and its subsequent investigative activities, including the use of CHSs, undercover operations, and FISA coverage, on the statements attributed to Papadopoulos. Thus, at the time of opening Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI had one publicly available information concerning Papadopoulos' role in the campaign as a volunteer foreign policy advisor, two, information obtained from Papadopoulos by the Australian diplomats, information about Russia's like three, information about Russia's likely election interference activities, four, Trump's public statements about Russia, and five, unvetted media reporting on possible ties between Trump and Russian businessmen. Significantly beyond this, the FBI's counterintelligence division and its crossfire hurricane investigators did not possess any intelligence or other vetted corroborated information regarding Trump or his campaign staff colluding with the Russian government. The FBI OGC unit chief, who advised on many crossfire hurricane matters and approved the case being opened as a SIM, noted that she lacked, quote, knowledge of alleged ties between the Trump campaign and Russia prior to the Crossfire Hurricane investigation being fully opened. The FBI Inspection Division report, describing similar statement by others, as noted in the FBI internal review, quote, this total lack of intelligence did not appear to have been considered significant when opening a full investigation on persons associated with an active presidential campaign. I want to see what this footnote was right here. Um... In discussing the views of Papadopoulos held by the Australian diplomats and noting his strengths and weaknesses. Understandably, as noted below, when Crossfire Hurricane was opened, serious efforts were made to keep investigation quiet so as not to interfere with the upcoming election. Ultimately, however, the Mueller investigation reported that, when interviewed, Papadopoulos and the campaign officials who interacted with him told the Mueller special counsel's office, that they could not recall Papadopoulos sharing the information that Russia had obtained dirt on candidate Clinton in the form of emails, or that Russia could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information about Clinton. No documentary evidence and nothing in the email accounts or other communication facilities reviewed by the Mueller special counsel shows that Papadopoulos shared this information with the campaign. In early July 2016, this is another footnote. In early July 2016, the New York field office received some of the reports that later became known as the Steele dossier. Hello, Charles McGonigal. The office found no evidence, however, suggesting that Strzok, who wrote and approved the Crossfire Hurricane opening EC, was aware of those reports when he opened the investigation, and the Crossfire Hurricane investigators did not receive those reports until mid-September. All right, this right here, it really is significant here that 
Puppet, nobody in the campaign, in the Trump campaign, was aware of this. Nobody in the Trump campaign was aware of what Papadopoulos was saying. They weren't like, oh yeah, Papadopoulos told us that uh, Russia has some dirt on Clinton. Because he didn't. He didn't tell them that. Why, he told Supposedly he told these Australians that. But he didn't tell the people in the campaign that. As the record now reflects. Oh, I love that line. In fact, what time is it? Okay, we've been going a little over an hour. I want to refill my coffee cup real quick because it's empty and I run on caffeine, as you guys know. Um, let me, we're just gonna have like a three minute intermission while I go and um, refill this coffee cup. Let me see, does this guy, does he allow you to play this music? I want to see if this guy allows you to play his music on. Um... Off Bandcamp without me getting canceled for playing it. I don't know, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it because his music fits my mood as of late. So. Coffee break. I'll be right back.
All right, welcome back, and uh, thank you for for being here on a Thursday night at an odd time. I sure am happy to be streaming right now. I have about an hour left, or maybe a little less. Whenever um, my wife took the kids off to go do some stuff, so that I could stream with the without disturbances. <laughs> um, so we're gonna keep going with this until they come back home, and then I haven't watched any cartoons or played Legos with my oldest son in quite a while. So I promised him I would give him some attention before he had to go to bed tonight. So we'll stop. I'll go do that. I was trying to think I may even, I, I should probably save my voice for tomorrow morning. I'll be live tomorrow morning to continue going over this report. And, um, and then we'll see what happens this weekend. Um, I saw that tranquility just posted. There's no F one this weekend. That's right. So, um, I'll, um, an opportunity may come up where I can uh, stream this weekend and I can try and get this done. I'm really enjoying doing this, but I also want to get it done quickly so we don't fall behind in the news cycle or so I don't fall behind. But, um, you know, there's a lot of pages to this thing. So trying to knock it out, but also extract from it everything that we possibly can. Mermaid Miss K, thank you very much for the $17. My pleasure to be live right now going over this material and bear thank you very much for the money for coffee i actually went and bought coffee today true story i went to a local shop and bought locally roasted coffee today and it was not cheap and it is delicious and so thank you very much i appreciate it so much all right you're welcome marcy you're welcome. All right. Now I want to, I can't. Yeah. I'll just, opine, I'll just run my mouth. I was going to look up the post I made about this, but no, I put it on. Yeah. I'll just, I'm just going to do right here. So RL Skeeter, thank you very much. And also freedom Patriot. Wow. Thanks guys. Very generous of y'all. Thank y'all so much. And also thank you for becoming a supporter, a monthly supporter. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, I, I really want to dig in with y'all to this right here. I talked about the Devolution Power Hour last night. I also made a social media post about it. It's in my thread that it it just sincerely, as I was uh, reading this and I was threading it on Twitter before I had gone live, but it, right after it come out, when I got to that this phrase, as the record now reflects, it really struck me. It was like it was highlighted already when I read it. It just it stands out in my mind that that is what this is about. Not only about that, but massively, this is a massively significant part of this report and why it exists so that the record now reflects it. Now, I'm not trying to say that's what this statement says that the rest of this statement is about that. I'm just talking about this as a standalone phrase. From now on, from now on, everything that's in this report, we can now say, as the record now reflects, and then cite something from this report. Struck said this and did these things. Page said this and did these things. McCabe said and did these things. 
And I think that's the most, that's what you have to have. You know, everybody, there's lots of people who will throw out, and I've done it myself, that so-and-so is guilty, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did these things. When are they going to be arrested? When are they going to be indicted? There must be justice. you got to have a record. you got to have the evidence to get the arrest, the indictment, the conviction, and to hold, make the conviction to hold up. you got to have the evidence, which means you have to have a record of the crimes. And that's what Durham has given us. Among other things... But this, this, it just, I don't know how many of y'all feel the same way, but that's, this, this just really stood out to me. All right. As the record now reflects, which will probably be the title of my Substack article when I write about this report, <laughs> I'll pro I'm probably, if y'all see me, if y'all see a Substack article come out, or hit your your mailbox from uh from me, and the title of it is "As the net the record now reflects." You're gonna know it's about the Durham report. <laughs> As the record now reflects, at the time of the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI did not possess any intelligence showing that anyone associated with the Trump campaign was in contact with Russian intelligence officers at any point during the campaign. You, I would love to just like nail this sentence as the Chiron on every mainstream media show as, as uh, like as the headline of every newspaper article, they had nothing and they opened a full investigation on the campaign. Moreover, the, the now more complete record of facts. Thank you, Durham relevant to the opening of crossfire hurricane is illuminating. That reminds me of a Q drop. That reminds me of a few Q drops, honestly. Indeed, at the time Crossfire Hurricane was opened, the FBI, albeit not the Crossfire Hurricane investigators, was in possession of some of the steel reports. However, even if the Crossfire Hurricane investigators were in possession of those steel reports earlier, they would not have been aware of the fact that the Russians were cognizant of Steele's election-related reporting. The SSCI Russia report notes that, quote, sensitive reporting from June 2017 indicated that a person affiliated with Russian oligarch one was possibly aware of Steele's election investigation as of early July 2016. Indeed, an early June 2017 USIC report indicated that two persons affiliated with Russian intelligence services were aware of Steele's election investigation in early July 2016. Put more pointedly, Russian intelligence knew of Steele's election investigation for the Clinton campaign by no later than early July 2016. Thus, as discussed in Section 4D1A3, Steele's sources may have been compromised by the Russians at a time prior to the creation of the Steele reports and throughout the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation. What do you want to bet? Russian oligarch one is Oleg Deripaska. 
And what do you want to bet that Oleg Deripaska knows about this because he's somehow connected to the Russian hacking groups that hacked the DNC and that were, and that were just hanging out there watching email traffic go by on the DNC servers. And they picked up on that the Hillary Clinton campaign had hired Fusion, Fusion GPS, who had hired Steele and Orbis Business Intelligence to try and dig up dirt on Trump. What do you want to bet Russian intelligence knew of the Clinton campaign and what they were doing and knew of Christopher Steele and what he was doing? Because they had eyes in the DNC and they had Oleg Deripaska getting fed information from Charles McGonigal at the New York field office and Christopher Steele was fully compromised by Russians and by the Clinton campaign. The Russians knew more than the FBI did. C, interview of the Australian diplomats. On August 2nd, 2016, two days after opening Crossfire Hurricane, Struck and Supervisory Special Agent 1 met in London with the Australian diplomats to assess and clarify exactly what had been said by Papadopoulos in May and provided to the U.S. government in July. In preparation for their interview, Struck and Supervisory Special Agent 1 sought the assistance of the FBI's Assistant Legal Attaché in London. That's UKALAT1. We're going to use that acronym a few times. ALAT1, it means legal attaché or assistant legal attaché. UK, UK ALAT1's primary FBI responsibility in London included, among other things, collaboration and information sharing with British Intelligence Service 1. In UK ALAT1's interview with the office, meaning the special counsel's office, he pointed out the inherent importance of sharing information with the British intelligence service that related to potential Russian intelligence activities in the United Kingdom. Thus, UK ALAT-1 briefed the British intelligence service about Papadopoulos' allegations involving Russian, um, <clears throat> Russian influence in the Trump campaign. Given the nature of the allegation and the speed with which Struck and Supervisory Special Agent 1 needed his assistance, UK ALAT 1 assumed that the FBI's interview of the Australian diplomats was except exceptionally critical. UK ALAT 1 also believed that the Crossfire Hurricane investigators likely were in possession of compelling facts beyond what UK ALAT 1 understood from the substance of Papadopoulos' claims in paragraph 5. My comment, just real quick. UK ALAT 1, he's hearing from Struck and this supervisory special agent about what these Papadopoulos allegations are. And he's listening to him and he's like, oh yeah, the FBI's interview of the diplomats is exceptionally critical to the validity of this information, of course. And he also, in listening to them, was believed, okay, well, these guys, they must have more information than just this. They're probably in possession of much more than what they're telling me right now. Nevertheless, UK ALAT1's independent impression of the predication for an investigation was echoed by Supervisory Special Agent 1 in a link exchange. Link is the internal FBI messaging system. 
with UK ALAT 1, during which the predication was referred to as thin. UK ALAT 1 also recalled, excuse me, recalled, struck making a comment in the taxi on their way to the Australian High Command to the effect that, quote, there's nothing to this, but we have to run it to ground. These exchanges with Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Strzok resonated with UK ALAT 1 because, in sharing the Papadopoulos information with his British Intelligence Service 1 counterparts at the time, they expressed real skepticism about the motivations and reliability of Papadopoulos. What you want to bet they said, this is a 20-year-old, barely experienced, barely out of college, 20-something-year-old kid, practically, who is trying to impress the Australians with his knowledge of the Trump campaign and, and just gabbing about the election. That's what they were thinking. UK ALAT 1 told the office that British Intelligence Service 1 did not assess the information about the Russians and Trump attributed to Papadopoulos to be particularly valuable intelligence. Indeed, he told the FBI's inspection division investigators that, quote, the British could not believe the Papadopoulos bar conversation was all there was, and they were convinced the FBI must have had more information that it was holding back. As it relates to the predication for opening Crossfire Hurricane as a full investigation, after Strzok and Supervisory Special Agent 1 had traveled to London and interviewed the, interviewed the Australian diplomats on August 2nd, 2016, the following link exchange between UK ALAT 1 and Supervisory Special Agent 1 on August 11th, 2016 is instructive. Here are those text messages. UK ALAT 1. Dude, are we telling them, the British Intelligence Service, everything we know, or is there more to this? SSA 1. That's all we have. I'm not holding back anything. UK ALAT. Damn, that's thin. Supervisory Special Agent 1. I know. It sucks. Liz Biz, thank you so much. I uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for becoming a monthly supporter and thank you for your rant and your comment. Much appreciated. UK Lat one. You guys see right here, the Brits saw straight through what was going on. Well, they didn't see straight through it, but they saw this information and they were like, this isn't anything to predicate an investigation on. And the supervisory special agent that was with Strzok was like, yeah, we're not holding anything back. It sucks. UK ALAT 1 went on to tell the inspection division that in discussing the matter with a senior British intelligence service official, the official was openly skeptical, said the FBI's plan for an operation made no sense, and asked UK ALAT 1 why the FBI did not just go to Papadopoulos and ask him what they wanted to know. A sentiment UK ALAT 1 told investigators that he shared. kind of think it's because they wanted it to be true but they really didn't care 
They really didn't care if it was true or not. They cared about having an investigation, right? They cared about having the file open and the full investigation going and running. If they went and interviewed Papadopoulos, that would be the end of the investigation, right? Papadopoulos would, would probably fold easily and tell them, oh, guys, I'd had, I'm in Australia. I'm eating barbecue. I'm drinking beer. I'm at a club. And I'm just trying to impress these people I just met. Later in the fall of 2016, UK ALAT-1 was at FBI headquarters with some of his British Intelligence Service 1 counterparts. While there, members of the Crossfire Hurricane team played the audio-visual recording of CHS-1's August 20th, 2016 meeting with Carter Page. UK ALAT-1 said the effect on the British Intelligence Service personnel was not positive because of the lack of any evidence coming out of the conversation. UK ALAT-1 told the OIG that after watching the video of one of his British colleagues, said, quote, For expletive's sake, man, you went through a lot of trouble to get him to say nothing. At a later point in time, after the Mueller special counsel team was in place, UK ALAT-1 said that, quote, The Brits finally had enough, and in response to a request for some assistance, a British intelligence service person basically said there was no expletive way in hell they were going to do it from his vantage point uk alat one saw the fbi executive management was pushing the matter so hard that there was no stopping the train and he told the oig that i mean it was this this thing was coming so my job was to grease the skids for it and that's what i did had the Crossfire Hurricane investigators attempted to critically assess the information from Papadopoulos through FBI holdings and standard requests to other government agencies for information about Trump and Russian intelligence activities involving Trump, they would have learned, one, Jonathan Moffa served as the chief of the FBI's counterintelligence analysis section through 2016. Moffa was a career FBI intelligence analyst who began working as a full-time FBI counter-espionage analyst in 2004. And prior to being selected for the section chief position in January 2016, had been chief of the Russian analysis unit for approximately four years. Moffa advised investigators that he had heard nothing about Trump and Russia until events began to be reported in July 2016, until Christopher Steele. Until the Papadopoulos and Christopher Steele stuff. Moffa's name comes up here and there in, in the, the Spygate thing, but I think it is important to note from this section right here that you have a guy that's been working in counter-espionage, an analyst. He, that's what he is. He is an analyst. And he has been analyzing in this regard since 2004, and he was chief of the Russian analysis unit for almost four years. And in all that time, 12 years, he had never seen anything about Trump and Russia colluding. Two, second bullet point. 
the FBI intelligence analyst who had perhaps the most in-depth knowledge of particularly sensitive Russian intelligence information and FBI holdings. FBI holdings means um, in their database, in their records, their knowledge. Okay. Um, It'll be referred to as holdings. So it's all the information that the FBI holds in its various databases. Information in FBI holdings during the relevant time period disclosed that she never saw anything regarding any Trump election campaign conspiracy with the Russians, nor did she see anything in FBI holdings regarding Carter Page, Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, or Manafort engaging in any type of conspiracy with the Russians regarding the election. There's an important footnote about Manafort we'll get to in a moment. Similarly, James Clapper, the DNI, testified before Congress on the subject of Trump and Russia, and he answered no when asked if he was aware of any such evidence. He's the DNI. (laughs) The former DNI reconfirmed this fact when he was interviewed by our office. So James Clapper was interviewed by Durham. I know there's a, I don't know. Well, I'll just leave it at that. Clapper was interviewed by Durham and he advised that he knew of no direct evidence that would meet the legal standard of conspiracy or collusion on Trump's part. Admiral Mike Rogers served as director of NSA during the relevant time period. When asked about any awareness he had of any evidence of collusion, as asserted in the Steele reports, he stated that he did not recall any intelligence that supported the collusion assertions in that reporting, nor did he have any discussions during the summer of 2016 with his counterparts in the intelligence community about collusion between the Russians and any Republicans. Victoria Newland served as undersecretary bitch for a political affairs at the State Department during the relevant time period. A career employee of the State Department and one of its most experienced Russian observers. She told our investigators that she never saw any U.S. government proof of the allegations contained in the Steele reporting regarding Trump and Russian officials. And further stated that to her bitchy recollection, no information regarding a well-coordinated conspiracy between Trump and the Russians had ever come across her bitchin' desk. With one exception, Newland advised that she had received a two-page summary of the Steele allegations from Jonathan Weiner, who in 2016 was serving as Secretary of State Kerry's special envoy to Libya. Weiner told bitch Newland, that Weiner had prepared the summary from his review of the Steele reporting while he was at Steele's country house and United Kingdom. Newland, noted State Department bitch, thought Weiner had passed the summary to her sometime in 2016. This was really weird to me. Um, maybe others were aware of this. I don't remember this at all, that, that she... She got a two-page summary of the Steele allegations from Jonathan Weiner, who in 2016 was Secretary of State Kerry's special envoy to Libya. And Weiner had told Newland that he prepared the summary 
after reviewing some Steele reporting while he was at Steele's country house in the United Kingdom. So you have... The special envoy to Libya for Secretary of State Kerry in 2016 is staying at the country house in the United Kingdom of Christopher Steele. And he's getting the Steele reports, and then he's sending them a summary of them to Bitch Newland. I feel like there's more going on there. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's a lot going on there. Um, <laughs> this little circle right here is more evidence of a conspiracy between Steele and the State Department than there was evidence of conspiracy or predicate to open. There's there's more of a predicate right here, guys. In this pair in this paragraph right here, this sentence. Right here, these like three sentences. There's more of a predicate in these three sentences for opening an investigation into Jonathan Weiner than there is there was for opening an uh, an investigation into Papadopoulos. All right, and then the last point. I think it's the last point. Yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one. It's a long one. Um, CIA Director John Brennan and Deputy Director David Cohen were interviewed by the office and were asked about their knowledge of any actual evidence of members of the Trump campaign conspiring or colluding with Russian officials. When Brennan was provided with an overview of the origins of the attorney general's review after special counsel, counsel Mueller finding of lack of evidence of collusion between Trump campaign and Russian authorities, Brennan offered that quote, they found no conspiracy end quote. In fact, Special Counsel Mueller's report explicitly states that, quote, ultimately, his investigation did not establish that the Trump campaign coordinated or conspired with the Russian government in its election interference activities. Relatedly, however, shortly after Special Counsel Mueller delivered his report to the Attorney General and the Attorney General had issued a short summary of the report's findings, Brennan appeared on MSNDC's <laughs> MSDNC's Morning Joe program where he stated that quote he suspected there was more than there actually was with regard to collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia in 2016 thus suggesting that he had no actual knowledge of such information in other words it's like yeah I thought there was going to be more than that oh Oops. Moreover, Deputy Director Cohen advised that he had no recollection of knowing anything about Trump, that Trump was doing anything with Putin, as opposed to what Putin and the Russians were doing to interfere in the election. Cohen stated that if, that if there were such knowledge, it would have been included in a formal referral to the FBI. In addition, if the CIA had become aware of any U.S. persons being involved in a criminal conspiracy... It would have sent the information to the FBI in a formal referral. He advised that he was not aware of any such referrals in this matter. And you know what? This is true. This is true. 
if the CIA had become aware of any person in the U.S. being involved in a criminal conspiracy, it would have sent the information to the FBI in a formal referral. We know this is true, guys. We know that they would have done that. You know how we know that? We know that because of this right here. Oh, no, the DNI Radcliffe. Okay, I got I lost it. That bookmark changed. Ah, hold up. Hold up. I'm going to show you the proof. Where is it? Uh, I got to show it. Where's it at? Comey says he doesn't recall it. I know. Where is Dean? There it is. Business Insider. Where's the letter? There it is. We can, we can, I guess I shouldn't say no. We can have strong confidence that the CIA would, if they were aware, just like, just like uh, the deputy said, if the CIA had become aware of any U.S. person being involved in a criminal conspiracy, it would have sent the information to the FBI in the, in a formal referral. We can be confident that that is a true statement because even when they got information that it was Hillary, they sent a referral. This declassified letter right here on September 7th, 2016, U.S. intelligence officials forwarded an investigative referral to Comey and Strzok regarding, quote, U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections is a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server, end quote. So, if they're going to send a referral on that, then I suspect they would have sent a referral on Trump for sure, right? Or anybody in the Trump campaign. It is interesting that uh, Comey says he does not recall that referral, but that's another rabbit trail to go on. Um, all right. Now I want to grab, now that we're past those bullet points, I want to go back up to Manafort. I know I'm doing a lot of commentary today, whereas the first day I did a lot more reading, but there's more things to comment on. And uh, yeah, that's just the mood I'm in. So Paul Manafort. Let's go to footnote 271. The intelligence analyst did, however, find some information related to Manafort that was not connected to the election or the presidential campaign. What was this part right here? In her view, businessman's you know, sex for later. Oh, yeah, I don't even care about that. So the thing about Manafort is that Manafort was a plant in the Trump campaign. And I'm sure the audience knows that, but just in case you don't, Manafort was a, was a plant and he was put there on purpose. And one thing that is, that can be difficult to discern, um, from looking to like looking into the details of all this stuff. And something's kind of difficult to discern right there. Plants need water. The question was, will POTUS and Q allow Manafort to suffer the wrath of the cabal for helping POTUS and the good guys? Plants need water. Q. Right here, another Q drop. Manafort was a plant. 
Trace background, open source, who was arrested, non-U.S., trace background, Carter Page was a plant. Flynn is safe. Trump, the Trump campaign leaned into the Russia, Russia, Russia accusations. I personally, I think that Trump was well aware that Hillary Clinton was going to try and frame him for the DNC hack and the email thing. I think that he was, I think that Trump was fully aware that Hillary Clinton had that plan that I just brought this letter up. I think Trump was fully aware that this was coming. They were going to try and frame him for, for colluding with Russia for various things. And I don't know how many of their efforts he was aware of, but I'm sure he was aware generally that this was going to happen. And I firmly believe that Trump purposefully put people in his campaign that would draw more attention and would bait them into going with the Russia collusion narrative. He put Papadopoulos in there, who didn't have that many Russian connections, but he did have Mediterranean connections. He put Manafort, who very much had Russian connections. He put in Flynn, who had Russian connections and had just been to Russia, right? He put in um, Page, Carter Page, who had connections to Russia and who had been used as an asset to gather intelligence on Russian operations. He had Felix Sater, who has operated in Russia, and he, he put Felix Sater and he put Michael Cohen and he sent them to Russia to set up a deal in Moscow for a Trump Tower in Moscow, which the entire time was a sting operation. Trump wanted this. That's something that's like, like we get in these details and we can get really angry at the way the FBI acted and everything and the way other people acted in the media and all of that. And be angry for all the right reasons. And these pe- the people that, the things these people did and did not do, they're worthy of scrutiny and criticism and even the hammer of justice in some instances. But I think it's important to not lose sight or not forget the fact that Trump wanted this. He wanted the Russia, Russia allegations. He baited them. He set up his campaign as a sting operation. He ran his presidency as a sting operation. And this is part of it. And that's what we're like. This is the result of him running a sting on the swamp that existed inside DC. How do you clean out the FBI? Well, you got to trap them. You got to get the evidence. How do you get the evidence? You put bait in a trap and have them go after the trap. Um, That's what he did. He put all these people in his campaign to be, to attract the attention of his enemies in the swamp and elsewhere. All right. In any event, within days after opening Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI learned from interviewing the Australian diplomats that there were reasons to be unsure about what to make of the information from Papadopoulos. Not only had Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Strzok told UK ALAT 1 that what they had was, quote, thin, one of the Australian diplomats had told Strzok and Supervisory Special Agent 1 in their interview that the Paragraph 5 information was written in an intentionally vague way because of what Papadopoulos did and did not say. Nonetheless, shortly thereafter, 
the FBI opened full investigations of Papadopoulos, Carter Page, Michael, General Michael Flynn, and Paul Manafort. All four were U.S. persons associated with the Trump campaign, and all of them, other than Papadopoulos, either had either ties to Russia or a history of travel to Russia. In July 2016, in addition to receiving the first several steel reports, the FBI received a separate stream of information regarding Trump from a former FBI CHS. Specifically, the FBI supervisor from a New England field office, New England Supervisory Special Agent 1, was contacted unexpectedly by the former CHS, with whom the supervisor had worked many years earlier when assigned to a different field office on matters related to Russian organized crime. New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 agreed to meet his former CHS on July 21st, 2016. So this is before the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. Right before. Like a week. At that meeting, the CHS told New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 that he, she had been contacted by a colleague who owns an investigative firm and who was looking into Trump's various businesses and contacts and ventures in Russia. That kind of sounds like Orbis Business Intelligence or Fusion, maybe. The former CHS did not identify the investigative firm that day, except to say that the firm had been hired by the DNC and another unnamed individual. Man, this is starting to sound like Fusion and Orbis. The former CHS then provided New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 with a list of approximately 45 individuals and entities who reportedly had surfaced in the firm's investigation of Trump's ties to Russia. And this is from an FBI email right there. What is this one? Yeah. Okay. Important to note about Manafort. As noted above, the New York field office had already opened an investigation of Page, but check this. In January of 2016, six months before any of this stuff, the FBI's criminal investigation division had opened an investigation into allegations of money laundering and tax evasion by Manafort. So Manafort was already under investigation for money laundering and tax evasion as of January 2016. The list was compromised, comprised, not compromised, comprised. The list was comprised mostly of Russian individuals and entities and immediately raised red flags for New England Supervisory Special Agent 1, who believed it was necessary to get the information into the right hands as soon as possible. Following the July 21st, 2016 meeting, New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 emailed a counterintelligence colleague about the meeting and forwarded the list of names he had received. Within a few days, New, Eng New England Supervisory Special Agent 1's email and the investigative firm's list of names made its way to FBI headquarters and to the Crossfire Hurricane investigators. The former CHS reached out to New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 again on August 23, 2016, telling him that he, she, had reviewed a large volume of material that the investigative firm had compiled and the former CHS passed on more information from that effort. New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 in turn passed the information directly to an agent on the Crossfire Hurricane team. That would be Special Agent 2. Then, one month later, 
On September 23, 2016, the former CHS reached out yet again, prompting New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 to email the Crossfire Hurricane investigators again to report that the CHS has more information on Trump's reported ties to Russia. Months later, on January 11, 2017, after the Steele dossier had been public, New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 asked Supervisory Special Agent 1 if anything was, quote, to be gleaned from the information he provided in July. It was at that time that Supervisory Special Agent 1 let New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 know that his team had received the same information through a separate reporting stream from a different source in context being Steele. Supervisory Special Agent 1 further advised that the second source was working with the same investigative firm that had given the information to the former CHS. Sometime later, New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 had learned that his former CHS had developed the information related to Trump while working with Glenn Simpson and Fusion GPS. Thus, it appears that in July 2016, the FBI had not yet determined that the dual reporting it was receiving was actually coming from the same source, that is, Simpson and Fusion GPS. Further, it does not appear that the FBI was aware of the fact that essentially the same information the former CHS was providing to New England Supervisory Special Agent 1 was being provided to the media by Simpson and Fusion GPS. This was a pattern similar to that later employed in the Alpha Bank matter, when the Alpha Bank allegations were provided to members of media by Fusion GPS and then to the FBI through Michael Sussman. Yep. That's what they did. They dug up some dirt. They concocted a pile of accusations and allegations and rumors, packaged it, and then gave it out to various people to all communicate it to the FBI in a way that would try and trick the FBI into thinking they were getting actual intel from different sources that they could then say, hey, I got three different CHS, I got three different sources that don't know each other telling me the same thing, there's something to this. It was a conspiracy to deceive the FBI. Okay, how long is this next section? Let me see. Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do two more pages until we so we can finish this section, and then and then that'll be the end of the show for tonight, and we'll pick back up tomorrow morning. Part four, between uh, between the time wait no no part four other investigative activity prior to the receipt of steel reports between the time the FBI opened the Crossfire Hurricane investigation and when Crossfire Hurricane investigators first received the steel reports in mid September 2016 the FBI took the following investigative steps. As discussed above, Strzok and Supervisory Special Agent 1 met with Australian officials to verify the information provided by Papadopoulos. Records and open source data was checked on the four Crossfire Hurricane subjects, Page, 
Page, Papadopoulos, Flynn, and Manafort. Travel of those subjects was monitored. Some records were obtained from other federal agencies and a foreign government. FBI CHSs and UCEs undercover employees were used to engage with some of the subjects. So this is the, the steps they took between like in the three, first three weeks. So end of January, end of July, very last week of July, crossfire hurricane opens middle of September. So the six week period, we've got six weeks here. And during those six weeks, they did those things, went to Australia to meet with some diplomats, did a, did records and open source data checks on the four targets or subjects, I should say, monitored their travel, activated CHSs and UCEs to engage with some of them. The OIG review provides the following succinct summary of the FBI's investigative activity prior to the receipt of the Steele reports. Quote, by the date the Crossfire Hurricane team received the six steel reports on September 19th, the investigation had been underway for approximately six weeks, and the team had opened investigations on four individuals, Carter Page, Papadopoulos, Manafort, and Flynn. In addition, during the, the prior six weeks, the team had used CHSs to conduct operations against Page, Papadopoulos, and a high-level Trump campaign official, although those operations had not yet resulted in the collection of any inculpatory information. It doesn't say who the high-level Trump campaign official is. Which I thought was interesting. I don't know why they wouldn't just say who it was. It made me wonder if it was Trump. Or someone else. I don't, I don't know. In addition, during those six weeks, the team used CHSs to conduct operations against Paige Papadopoulos and a high-level Trump campaign official. I guess it wouldn't be Trump, but I don't know. I, I sure would like to know who in the campaign it was, though. It would just be interesting to know who else they eyeballed for that. All right, FBI personnel told the OIG that, quote, the FBI did not use national security letters or compulsory process prior to obtaining the first FISA orders. FBI Deputy General Counsel Anderson said that, quote, early on, FBI managers took off the table any idea of legal process because the FBI was trying to move very quietly. Similarly, Members of the Crossfire Hurricane team told the OIG that they avoided the use of compulsory legal process to obtain information at this time in order to prevent any public disclosure of the investigation's existence and to avoid any potential impact on the election. Notably, absent from the list of investigative steps taken, were the following non-public, non-compulsory options. First, interviewing Page, particularly once the FBI's interest in him was publicly disclosed by the media. In fact, two days after this disclosure, Page wrote to Comey offering to be interviewed. But the FBI elected not to do so. That is an important point. Two days after the media reported that Page was 
under investigation or being looked at by the FBI, Page sent a letter to Comey saying, hey, if you want to interview me, I'm available. Be happy to talk. Second, asking Page, who volunteered to be interviewed and had spoken with the FBI when asked to do so on prior occasions, if he would consent to a polygraph exam or provide access to relevant electronic records. Using other standard investigative steps or techniques, not requiring a court order. Interviewing Papadopoulos, the actual source of the paragraph five information. They didn't do any of these things. Another step the Crossfire Hurricane investigators could have taken, but chose not to, was the use of pen registers and trap and trace devices. Although FISA authorizes the government. I just realized I zoomed out and I didn't zoom back in for y'all. Um, although FISA likely, uh, although FISA authorizes the government to obtain a pen register when, quote, the information likely to be obtained is relevant to an ongoing investigation to protect against clandestine intelligence activities. Case agent one told the OIG that he saw pen registers as a, quote, criminal authority. FBI OGC unit chief one could not understand why investigators working on Crossfire Hurricane were not seeking authority to use pen registers and trap and trace devices. In terms of the analytical capabilities that were applied to Crossfire Hurricane, Lisa Page testified that the FBI used, quote, line-level analysts who were super experts on Russia. That's what Lisa Page said. The FBI's inspection division report found, however, that the intelligence analysts selected for Crossfire Hurricane were uniformly, uniformly inexperienced, and that, quote, none of them were subject matter expert analysts. Aside from Otten, who Durham put on the stand in the Danchenko trial, and it was great. Aside from Otten, and who has been referred to the IG for his, um, what he did, um, <clears throat> for his role in all this. Durham referred him to the IG, by the way. Aside from Otten, the most experienced analyst had less than nine months of experience working in that capacity. Two had less than four months' experience, and another two came straight from training. The analysis done in Crossfire Hurricane was also limited by the Counterintelligence Division's failure to integrate the Directorate of Intelligence into the investigation as required by policy. Rather, in at least one instance, Assistant Director for Counterintelligence Division Bill Priestap appears to have deliberately shut down the involvement of the Directorate of Intelligence in an enhanced validation review of Christopher Steele as a key source. All right, now I'm going to give some, actually, let me grab these uh, footnotes before I give some closing commentary. Um, you know, this is an example right here. It just kind of hit me. This one instance with Bill Priestap, he broke policy, right? He shut down the involvement of the Directorate of Intelligence in a, in a review of Christopher Steele as a key source. That's against policy. He's required to do that according to the FBI's policy. He didn't do it. Should he be in jail for it? No, because I don't think that's criminal. There's no criminal statute that says if you do that, if you don't follow this policy, 
then you've committed a misdemeanor or a felony, right? He broke policy. He didn't break a U.S. code. He didn't break the law. And this is an example of where someone that we're like, man, Bill Priestap was all up in this. I think he's a bad guy. I think he didn't do the right thing. He committed some crimes. He needs to be prosecuted. Where's, where's justice? I want to see Bill Priestap in handcuffs. Okay. I can totally understand why somebody would feel that way. But in this instance right here, we have an instance where it was a policy move that he made that broke a policy, but it didn't commit a crime. Yeah, you can't you can't charge him with a crime for that. And I think there's a lot of things like this. I had this thought as I was reading it, like some um the first time I read this through and I was looking at um some of the the language Durham was using talking about declination uh decisions not to prosecute people and the different things he had to weigh and i was think it hit me that like i said on devolution power hour last night we're talking about an effing criminal syndicate that we're wanting to take down they're good at what they do they're not going to make it easy for people to find like Durham or the IG or others, they're not going to make it easy for you to find where they committed a crime. They know, they know how to navigate things and massage things and kind of bend things, kind of push things, kind of obscure things, do these little things that aren't exactly illegal. They know how to, they know how to work the environment they're in to the end that they seek and gathering evidence on them is so difficult. They know how to speak mermaids, right? Most of them are lawyers. They know exactly what to say and what not to say. And when, when they do speak, they know how to say it in a way that is going to help them avoid being caught. So it's extremely difficult to catch these people and stuff. And that also explains why it's taken so long and why these records are so important and people being interviewed and um, breaking down attorney client privilege and all this other stuff that, that there such that there is evidence that certain people in and around government engaged in a criminal conspiracy against Trump. There's not going to be much evidence that exists they're going to be able to do it in a way that they're not going to leave very much evidence. So it's going to, you're going to have to, yeah, you need people like Durham who can find the receipt for a sandwich they had on a certain day and find out whether or not it had pickles on it. Like you, you need that kind of an investigator who can figure out exactly what Hillary Clinton had for lunch on a certain day at a certain time and who was at that table and what the music in the restaurant was. Right? Like you, that's what you need because these people are very, very good. Very, very, very good. Some of them are stupid. That's true. And those stupid people get caught quickly and they're useful idiots. But getting, getting to the members of the syndicate at the, the top members, breaking up the syndicate, it's a big ask. I wanted to check these footnotes real quick. 
on the pages we just read because I I went right past them. Okay. Um, quoting Trisha Anderson, who was Deputy General Counsel, she describes statements by Comey and McCabe on the importance of keeping the investigation covert. Okay. Got a letter from Carter Page. When Crossfire Hurricane was open, an important goal was to keep the investigation secret. By September 23rd, 2016, however, the investigation was public. It's, well, mm. one thing about this, I think I said it on the other, I think I said it, I, I know I typed it on my thread, but I think I said it on my show yesterday. You know, they're, they're saying they're trying to keep this secret, but six weeks after they started, it's in the media because they called Michael Isikoff to ask him not to publish his story about it, which when they did that, it confirmed to Isikoff that his story was correct and worth publishing. Right? That comes with Sussman. Sussman is like, I told the New York Times about this also. Just FYI. And then the FBI is like calling New York Times saying, hey, that story you got, don't don't run that story, please. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We'll think about not running it. Thanks. And then they hang up and they're like, guys, the FBI just confirmed on the phone to me that there's an investigation of Trump. That story we were going to publish, guess what? We're right. There's a there there. There's smoke and there's fire. Okay, so that's that last part right there. Catbird girl, good good to see you. Thank you so much for your rant and for becoming a monthly supporter. Thank you. And good to see you. All right, I can hear that my family is upstairs running around. They are home, and I am sure that my boys want me to hang out with them for... A little while before it's time for them to go to bed. Um, I haven't said anything to the people over on Foxhole who are watching tonight. Thank you guys for watching over on Foxhole. Um, sorry, I have I haven't uh, given y'all a whole lot of attention tonight. I've been glancing over there. Um, Diddy, thank you very much. Yeah, it sucks that that buy me a coffee canceled people, but it goes with the game. I yeah. Uh, Diddy said, what if Durham was basically what if Durham's job was to get all this evidence and create this record? Yeah, that's what I think. I mean. I'm kind of in retrospect, kind of thinking like, as we do often, we. We imagine we put too much on people. Like Trump and others. And. Um, we expect so much from them. And we get our hopes high. I think that we kind of did that with, well, I think we did do that with Durham. I know I did. And I think that we, uh, we think Durham's going to be the one that's going to be delivering all these indictments. And it's looking like, no, actually he isn't the one. I mean, he may be, they may be sealed and we don't know about him, but it seems like Durham was the one that went out and meticulously found the evidence and compiled it together and created this record. Um, and that's not nearly exciting as exciting as him being the one to bring the justice, but 
it does make sense that he's the guy to do it. It does make sense that he's the guy to go out and get these tiny pieces of information that are going to become so important. They're going to build up into this massive mountain of evidence. So I feel good about it, even though I'm like, kind of like, oh, yeah, that's we thought it would go differently. I'm over here like, I think it went the way it was supposed to, even though it's not how we imagined it. All right. Folks, that's it. That's part two. Tomorrow will be part three. Tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. I'll be live all the same places, and we'll go over more of this report. We made it. We made it to page 68, which means we've almost made it as big as my thread is, almost as far as I've made it in my thread. And um, we'll keep going. We'll see how many more pages we get we get through. It looks like we're going about 20 pages at a time or so. Probably going to want to speed that up or this is going to become a 20-part series. But, <laughs> but hey, it's good information to nerd out on, and we're all better for having, having learned it. So God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. Y'all have a great evening. And remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. I'll see y'all tomorrow morning.